0: online at kfuo.org all
1: right hey guys uh, glad for, glad for you to have have you on the show i've just been kind of introducing the augsburg confession the apology and so forth um uh, not sure if that was on the air or not, but at least I was talking to myself, if nothing else. So I have with me my two guests today: Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Welcome, Brian.
2: Thank you. Oh, it's always glad to be here.
1: I was waiting for you to pause extra long to make me think that maybe something had happened again, but uh, and then I also have Pastor Chris Hall, who's the senior pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. Welcome, Chris.
3: Hey, good to be back. On time. Right. Good to have
1: you back. All right, so we are in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Um, We are not apologizing for anything. We are defending the Augsburg Confession when we do this. We left off last week with Pastor Fisk as his first first week host in Concord Matters. He left off at paragraph 9. And so we'll look into paragraph 9 of that introduction to the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Sometimes it has the title here in the Concordia edition. It has Philip Melanchthon presents his greeting to the reader. So here we go. Paragraph 9. Reader, you now have our apology. From it you will understand not only what the adversaries said about our confession, for we have reported in good faith, but also that contrary to the clear scripture of the Holy Spirit, they condemned several articles. That is how far they are from overthrowing our statements by means of the scriptures. All right, so here you get Phillips kind of introducing things about what this apology is going to be and he's presenting it to them, but then you have him talking about this confutation, this this problems that the Roman Catholic theologians had with the Augsburg Confession, and here he's starting to kind of introduce the fact that he believes that there's kind of uh, been kind of some ill dealings, that they're not reporting things, and they haven't been able to actually go against the teachings of the Lutherans. Uh, Pastor Hull, if you would just kind of start talking some about this, you know, especially, you know, that clear scripture of the holy spirit that you know in endorsement of inspiration there um if you could talk just yeah. a little bit about how this happens here
3: How uh, what happens inspiration
1: well inspiration but then also now you know as as, as melanchthon is introducing this these adversaries uh, i think
3: Eck was one of them wasn't he of luther oh yeah you'd have Eck would be well, in there be one of the adversaries think he's, of the augustana and, right so
1: so then they're not uh they're they're unable to debate this and so uh, we'll just move on to paragraph 10 that's all right originally we dropped the apology after consulting with others yet as it passed through the press i made some additions that is why i give my name so that no one can complain that the book has been published anonymously all right so philip Langton attaches his name to this uh pastor Hull, who's who who others who are the other kind of input into this
3: well, you have Luther's obviously an input into the apology. I mean, you can't abstract Luther, his catechisms, and his writings from this. Um, you have you have him, and you have I'm trying to think who else you would have had around Wittenberg at that time. But you have the Lutheran princes. Any or Bugenhagen is another one. You know, a pastor. So it, this isn't just Philip Melanchthon's personal thoughts on the matter, right? This is the the stance that the the evangelicals are taking, this is their defense of the Lutheran confession. So that that's why we swear to it, like why you and I swear to it at uh, our ordination. We're we're not swearing to Philip Melanchthon's private thoughts. We don't swear to his loci, right? We, we right? swear to his confessional writings, the church writings. This isn't Philip Melanchthon's confession. This is the church's confession. And that gets back to a little bit of what you mentioned about inspiration. This isn't just our opinions. The Book of Concord is not our our thoughts on the matter. It is the confession that flows from hearing the word. And that's what's being penned right now, a defense that has been attacked.
1: Amen. So Pastor Wolfmuller. Pastor Wolfmuller, when you look at this, you know, he, he you you do some publishing and so forth yourself. Uh, you see here, Melanchthon kind of consults with others, but then he also, as it passed to the press, I made some additions. Um, can you talk a little bit, just introducing this kind of st- thought as well?
2: Well, yeah. It, what's really great here is that Melanchthon is saying um, uh, he's he's contrasting what they're doing with what the um, with what the Papists had done. Uh, when they gave their confutation, they read it and they read it really quickly, and they wouldn't give a copy to the Lutherans. Uh, they held that back so that. When they were first drafting this apology, it was, it was in responding to handwritten notes. Uh, Melanchthon's going to say, later, we got a copy just recently, you know, a couple of weeks later. They gave us a copy of the computation, and it was probably different than what they delivered. Uh, no one was signing it. There was no honesty. It was, it was in, the, in the dark. Uh, Melanchthon says, no, look, I'm, I got my name on this, so if you want to know who to blame, you know who to blame. There's a there's a fantastic honesty at which the Lutherans are going to go about their uh, their theological debate uh, because they are not against questions. They, it's one of the marks of ideology that you prohibit questions, and the Lutherans do not have that mark. Everything that they're doing is is right out in the open. They're not hiding anything. They're not holding anything back. They're endeavoring for clarity, while their opponents were dile- uh, were were purposely. Uh, fighting against clarity and trying to obscure the topics under discussion.
1: Exactly, and that's very good to, very good to point out. Um, <clears throat> also a good point to make even today, as, as certain religions and so forth uh, do not reveal everything to you until you get deeply into the religion or organization. And uh, that's not the clarity that, that the Lutherans have confessed, nor really what this Church of all time has, has focused upon. So that's a good thing to be of. Are you talking about the Missouri of. Senate? Well, sometimes the Missouri Synod. No, but not, no, I'm thinking more so of of uh, I'm thinking more so of the the ones like uh, well the 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 Masons and so forth. You don't find out fully about what's I, going on there until you get I know. deeply into it. Uh, Mormonism has that problem. Jehovah's Witnesses have that problem. It's always kind of a, a gnostic thing that you kind of start out a little bit, and then you as you grow deeper in your devotion, you get more and more revealed to you about so forth, and and uh, certainly there's yeah. that temptation in every church body. And, of course, since the temptation there is sinners filled church bodies, then, of course, you will have sinners falling for the temptation uh, to do these kind of things. But I think Pastor Wolfman did make a great point, that the Lutheran confessors, they are up front and open about this. Um, you know, he does acknowledge that others were consulted, but then, of course, he puts his name to it. That this lengthens work, and uh, if you have a problem with it, take it to him. Um, all right, so let's move on to paragraph 11. In these controversies... As far as I was able at all, it has always been my custom to keep the traditional form of doctrine. I did this so that at some time unity could be reached more readily. I am not departing far from this custom now, even though I could justly lead people today even further away from the opinions of the adversaries. All right. Hey. We love new words and stuff all the time, even in the Lutheran Church. Um, but here, Melanchthon's kind of speaking against this idea. He's, he's encouraging us to stay to the traditional form of doctrine. Pastor Wolfmiller, what is what is he talking about here?
2: Well, there, there's a phrase that we use that comes from St. Paul called the rule of faith. Uh, or Paul will also talk about, about the pattern of sound words. And, and that is to say that there is um, uh, a language in the Church that, we, um, that has been tested and tried and found true. So for the sake of clarity, for the sake of the unity of doctrine, it's the pattern of the Church to use those sound words, uh, to stick to the words and phrases, uh, the way of talking that has been found acceptable in the Church, and not to pursue novelty. And one, one of the things that's happening here is that is that the Catholic Church had taken up the pattern of sound words from the ancient Church, but in a lot of ways had put new meaning into it, uh, especially in regards to grace and merit and faith and what all these things mean. Uh, Melanchthon is saying we could blow up their whole way of thinking if we wanted to, but we want to stick to the pattern of sound words in as much as we can. Uh, We we don't want to have to change the whole vocabulary and way of speaking in the Church. So if we can retain the pattern of sound words uh, without... Uh, causing offense to the doctrine of the Scriptures, we want to do that. But in some places, we're going to have to teach the Church a new way to talk, because, it's, uh, because the, the, the Roman Catholic Church had, had really perverted the way of talking. And this especially has to do with the language of justification, with original sin, with free will, with grace, and with faith. So here we're going to have to define our terms from the ancient Church, and especially from the Scriptures, and really learn a new way of talking so that we can speak rightly about the gospel and about the truth
1: exactly now pastor Hull, it talks here you know about this traditional form of doctrine and then he also said this so that so, at some time unity could be reached more readily so the lutherans still want unity right i think so <laughs> yeah and, like and that, so <clears throat> right so they still want unity uh, but they're looking to get unity how i mean are they looking to get unity because they're going to get along uh, agree with each other on some some superficial
3: level, or or, or is it deeper than this? Well, it's, it's deeper than that. Take, let's take a one one term forgiveness. You know, for what is absolution? Let's say, if we were to have a discussion on absolution, we I would be talking about the grace of Christ. This is the work of Christ to wipe the slate clean and forgive the sinner their transgression. It is solely an act of Christ. Man cannot contribute anything to his absolution. I can't add my merit. And my change in life is a fruit of that absolution, but not the absolution itself nor the completion of it. However, you can have someone else who will say, well, no, we must attach man's action to that absolution. And his turning from the sin now completes that forgiveness. Now we're talking about two completely different things. We won't have any unity if we're walking in accordance with um, these two different definitions and this guiding principle of what's determining that definition is not man's opinion or historical um, experience. What determines that doctrine is the Word of God. How does God's Word define forgiveness and what it is and who's doing it? So that is what unifies us is Christ
1: in your example you're talking about two different gospels one that's actually a gospel exactly. and one that's just just a gospel in in name only and really back to works well and these uh, are the forgive, only two gospels a forgiveness that, are that preached, is incomplete right? is a forgiveness that is incomplete is not forgiveness
3: yeah so yeah oh so uh, what brings to unity is actually dealing with the whole the whole topic as it should so be. so typically
1: the, the the Lutheran church then takes from this point, you know, that we, we have the catechisms, and, and the catechisms become kind of our, our language that we use amongst ourselves even for even our own unity. What, what happens when all of a sudden, you know, Pastor Wolf, what happens when all of a sudden we're not using even our own sound pattern of words anymore? What, what is going to happen in a church body where that's kind of the norm?
2: Yeah, you, um, when you get this love for novelty. I mean, this is why, why it comes. I mean, why depart from the pattern of sound words? Well, we have this love for novelty, to hear something new. Uh, Luther talks about that in the Catechism and how dangerous it is, uh, because in, um, in using language that's been untested, untried by the Church, we're putting ourselves out there. And uh, uh, to, uh, with this great risk of speaking wrongly, of speaking uh, lies instead of speaking truth, uh, from the scriptures and about the Lord and what He says of us and to us, and so there's a there's a safety, uh, not only uh, uh, of the unity of the church and the unity of doctrine, but also of the soundness of doctrine, in using the the words that have been delivered to us by the Holy Scriptures. And when we depart for that out of love for something new, we are abandoning, um, you know, we're abandoning the care of the flock that Jesus has handed over to us. It, I, I suppose the picture would be something like the FDA. You know, you have the Food and Drug Administration, and they require all this great testing before they approve a drug for use. And, re- and that's there for the protection of people who will take the drug, that they don't get you know, killed or turn purple or whatever. You've got to test the thing and to, to see if it sounds right and if it uh, creates health instead of creating death. Well, the same thing we see not only in the Scriptures but also in the history of the Church. The words are tested uh, the words that we speak of Christ are tested to prove that they'll bring health and not sickness, and this is uh, the chief reason why we want to stick to the pattern of sound words.
1: And in fact, I think this can become a temptation as the church lives in the world. Uh, I think, particularly of um, having studied history and and looking into you know, getting a PhD in history, well, you typically had to come up with something new, some kind of new research, some kind of new thing. Now uh PhDs in theology might be the same exact thing. I mean, Pastor Hull, what do you think? Is this, is this novelty, is still a problem today?
3: Well, anytime, well, of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. Because I know. Well, it's like um, I it's it's um. Uh, for instance, I remember an individual once told me, uh, "Pastor, I know I'm forgiven. Just tell me what I need to do this week." And they're looking for this new thing. It's not new. It's always been around. But I'm like, come back when you actually think you're forgiven because you don't get it yet. It's the same thing over and over again. Man thinks he has it and he doesn't. We've fallen for the the serpent's lie, his temptation that we are like God. And we know everything, so we need something new. And we have to be exciting. When, no, it's kind of like a woman who's in labor. She doesn't need to hear anything exciting or new. She just needs to hear that you're going to get through this. (laughs) And uh, I, as a preacher don't really concern myself with people who don't need to just hear the simple gospel the words of christ if they need something else then clearly they don't really see themselves as a sinner who needs to be forgiven they've gotten past that and you can't help someone like that if it's a preacher you can shut them up um but if it's a layman you can pray for them that eventually the law will work on them and they come to see how sweet that gospel is and they want to just keep hearing it
1: Exactly. And we'll get to that in a few paragraphs. When we talk about the word sophistry, uh, the idea of, of kind of all these extra on top of things that, that kind of develop as Pastor Wolfman talks about how, you know, they change the definition of these even basic themes and basic words of our confession. And so we go into paragraph 12. These adversaries are dealing with these issues in a way that shows they are seeking neither truth nor concord, but to drain our blood. So. <clears throat> Pastor Wolfmuller, you you kind of introduced this, and and the idea of, you know, that they're not doing this in the open, that the Roman Catholic confutation is not done in the open, so it's also not done really about finding truth or finding concord, as it's used here as a a synonym for unity or harmony, Um, but to drain our blood. What's it talking about there?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, the Lutherans were really feeling the pressure. I mean, already um what 6 years before this Luther himself has been declared an outlaw uh and uh, w- meaning that he's um to be arrested jailed even put to death which is what the church would do uh with heretics there's a there's a silencing move that the catholic church has always had for um uh, for heresies and uh and the force of law was brought down o- on them and w- uh, what they're pointing out here is that what the adversaries are really after is simply an excuse from the emperor to put him to death, to kill him, to try him as heretics, and to end their life, to burn them at the stake or throw him in prison or whatever. And, uh, and that's the real thing. Now, um, Melanchthon, it's, what's really interesting is that Melanchthon is admitting here that what he's dealing with in the Confutation is not an honest theological document, and yet he's forced to treat it like one. So he wants the people to know that even though this is not an honest theological document, it has to be treated like an honest theological document, and we're going to do that in the Apology.
1: Well, that probably comes from his confidence and courage with knowing that he has the truth, so he can take on any error he needs to.
2: Well, well, that's right, And 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 it is now for him an occasion to preach. So we have the computation, which means we have to give an answer to it, and that becomes an occasion to put the truth that brings unity out before the world, even if it means forfeiting our lives.
1: Exactly. And that's, of course, what the confessors do at at Augsburg, and then, of course, this pattern continues, including, you know, 15, 16 years later, they'll end up actually fighting, uh, and so forth, and, and actually losing against the emperor and his armies, and so forth. All right, so after a little rough start, we've uh, we've gotten going into the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Uh, we are covering just the introduction, so we're covering the basic remarks of Philip Melanchthon in regards to the Roman Catholic Confutation, that is, the objections they had about the Augsburg Confession. And now, of course, the Lutherans will defend our beliefs again, based upon Scripture. We'll defend those and we'll confess those before the world as we do each and every day. You're listening to Concord Matters here on AM Radio, the messenger of the good news. We are coming up against a hard break, and so we will be taking that break shortly. We will come back after four minutes.
0: Peace Lutheran Church of South County KFUO's Church of the Week invites you to worship on Saturdays, 5 p.m. and Sundays, 8, 9, 20, and 10, 30 a.m. Sunday school and Bible classes meet at 9, 15 a.m. Peace is located just west of the J.B. Bridge on I-255 near Telegraph Road in St. Louis. For Senior Pastor Dennis Castens and Associate Pastor John Ferguson and all the members, you're invited to worship at Peace this Saturday or Sunday or accessing them online at peacelutheranstl.org.
2: Recently graduated from high school or college and looking for a chance to serve a community in need while sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? Lutheran Young Adult Corps may be for you. Lutheran Young Adult Corps provides opportunities for long-term, full-time service for 10 weeks through the summer or 10 months over the school year in places like St. Louis, Philadelphia, and Boston. Find out more about Lutheran Young Adult Corps by finding us online at lcms.org slash Y-A-C-O-R-P-S or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Lutheran YA
0: Hi, this
3: is Todd Wilkin inviting you to join us for Issues Etc. weekday afternoons from 3 to 5. Issues Etc. is a live call-in show with a two-fold purpose. First, we defend and teach the truths rediscovered during the Reformation, grace, faith, scripture, and Christ alone. Second, we challenge today's postmodern culture with its unbiblical
2: ideology. Issues Etc. live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO Radio.
0: The Welsh Bible of 1588,
2: translated by Anglican Bishop William Morgan, touched the lives of thousands of Welsh countrymen, a Bible whose likelihood seemed impossible. In 1549, Edward VI required all public worship to be conducted in English. 14 years later, Elizabeth I passed an act which required a Welsh translation of the Bible to be completed in only four short years. William Morgan's scholarship and zeal for a Bible all Welshmen could read resulted in the Welsh Bible of 1588, a translation in use until the end of the 20th century. A volume of such literary and linguistic significance, it became the foundation for which modern Welsh literature was based. Engage with the Bible in its significant impact through the ages. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible.
1: Welcome back to Concord Matters. We have settled all the little glitches that we had to start up last time, and we are back at you for the last half of the hour. I am your host this week, Pastor Joshua Shear, Senior Pastor at our Savior Lutheran Church here in Cheyenne, Wyoming, coming to you from the High Plains of Wyoming. Also with me, two guests today, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, who is a senior pastor at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, uh, Colorado, and also Pastor Chris Hull, senior pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Tombell, Texas. So it's kind of like a senior pastor edition of Concord Matters, if you'd if you'd like to have that. Uh, Ooh. How much is that worth, Pastor Wolfmuller? How much is that worth to have a senior pastor edition? Yeah, for me or Wolf? We might no, absolutely. Well, either one. Well, worth, apparently. Apparently.
3: apparently. I tell you, <laughs> either, either either of useless. you. Just to spend time with you guys, it makes my week. <laughs> That's right. Me too. Yeah. There you go.
1: <laughs> Sherry Breed's filling out HR forms, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, okay. we left off. We're in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession and the introduction, Philip Melanchthon's letter of greeting to his readers. Uh, we're in paragraph 13 and so we will go with that right now 13 and 14 actually i have written with the greatest moderation possible if any expression appears too severe i must say that i am arguing with the theologians and monks who wrote the confutation not with the emperor or princes whom i hold in due esteem i recently saw the confutation and noticed how cunningly and slanderously it was written so that on some points it could deceive even the cautious all right, so Pastor Wolf here you have again an opportunity to talk a little bit about this Roman Catholic theologians and how Melanchthon's going to deal with this. Yeah, it,
2: what's really interesting is that when you read the computation, I mean, the computation is a really kind of embarrassing doctrine for the Catholic Church even to this day. It's never become official or accepted. It just was really poorly written. It's it's um, it doesn't. It, it's almost as if the the people who were writing the computation didn't... They, they were not aware of what was at stake theologically. They just could not get their head around um, what, in fact, the Lutherans were saying. They didn't understand it. There's a couple of times, I think this is really interesting, that in the computation they will actually accept what the Lutherans said, even though the Lutherans were aiming at them and saying that, no, you understand things wrong, So so that Melanchthon in the Apology will have to come back and say, well, they accepted this article, but it's because they didn't understand it. And so let me flesh it out so they understand that they actually don't accept it. It's really, it's really an amazing thing. But that lack of understanding means that they start to deal with the theological questions politically. And the, and the writers of the computation are writing in such a way to win the, to win the authority of the emperor. Their goal was not to settle these theological questions by the truth of the, with the truth of the Lord's words. That was the Lutherans' goal. The goal of the Catholics was to settle these questions by the power of the sword, by, uh, so that the emperor could say, uh, I am the Pope's emperor, and I will punish the Lutherans. So they are writing not to get to the truth, but rather to manipulate the emperor to remain on their side, which is something that they actually succeeded at.
1: Yes. And in fact, I think historically, that's kind of the tradition they had had. I mean, any, any major objections to the Roman Catholic Church were met with, uh, not, not debate or, or resolve or anything like that, but more so force and, uh, submission. And, uh, that's just kind of how it works, uh, when you claim to have both swords to punish the temporal and also the spiritual realms. So, uh, Pastor Hull, <clears throat> what is this? Mm-hmm. Distinction he's making here, he's arguing against the theologians and monks, uh, not with the emperor or the princes. Uh, is he just trying to keep on the good, good graces of the
3: emperor here? Oh it's Melongston, right? <laughs> so he kind of, right? He's middle of the road. Um, but I, there is a distinction. This guy, when we as pastors, um, let's say you go into a church that is reading false theology, and you get rid of that false theology. People aren't going to go, oh, my pastor loves me and got rid of this false theologian. They take it as he's attacking me. He's saying that I'm this person. Um, you know, let's let's just take a Rick Warren. Let's say you go into a church that during Lent does the purpose-driven life. You come in the next Lent and you say, well, no, we're not going to do this. They're not going to go, oh, he's attacking Rick Warren's theology and critiquing it so he can help us. People hear it as, "Oh, he's attacking me because I read it." So Melanchthon's making the point: what I'm writing right now is against these guys over here. If you listen to it, then you're in there too. But the Emperor didn't write this, nor did the princes, the the theologians, and the monks wrote it. So it's making a distinction Excellent. so people will actually listen. Hopefully, hopefully, um, right. hopefully. And that's the point where he says, "I write with moderation." <laughs> you know, it's um, the greatest moderation how- possible. Yeah, and every every good theologian, every good pastor does that. He he doesn't just un, unload and blow up. It, you are you approach it with kindness and gentleness as as we're given to do. And problem is, people are either going to listen or they won't. So Melanchthon's making the point this is who I'm arguing against, so no one can say otherwise.
1: Good. Very good. You want a paragraph 15 and 16? Paragraph 15 and 16 here. Yet I did not discuss all their sophistries, for it would be an endless task. Instead, I deal with the chief arguments, so that all nations will have a clear testimony from us that we hold the gospel of Christ correctly and piously. Disagreement does not delight us, neither are we indifferent to our danger. We readily understand the extent of it when we see how inflamed our adversaries are by bitterness and hatred. Yet we cannot abandon truth that is clear and necessary for the church. Pastor Wolfmuller, when we look at this, you know, he, he's making us this, this clear thing, but he also talks about, you know, disagreement does not delight us, neither are we indifferent to our danger. What kind of dangers are, are the Lutherans facing? Obviously, they're, they're facing the, the emperor um, who, who could, you know, raise an army and eventually does. But what are the kind of dangers they're looking at? What, what, are they really, what are they worried about?
2: Well, you know, I mean, when Luther wrote um, um, his hymn and taught us to sing, take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife, let these all be gone, they yet have nothing won, this was a real a possibility, uh, that, the, um, that the emperor could come through and take everything from them. Uh, and, and those who had most to risk, it's really amazing, were the princes who were, in fact, making the Augsburg Confession. So, uh, so they, they risked their lives, they risked their families, they, they risked their property, um, but they were willing to risk this because they knew the first commandment and that fear belongs to God alone, that it would be idolatry to fear the Pope, to fear the Emperor, to fear death instead of fearing God. So they were so compelled by the fear of God, by the knowledge that the truth of the Scriptures was given to us for a reason, and, it, and we are not free to abandon what the Scriptures say, that they were willing to lose everything uh, for the sake of this truth. And I, and I think it's interesting right there in this section that it says, um, we hold the gospel of Christ uh, correctly and in a pious way. The, the, in other words, their confession, the Lutheran's confession of the truth, is not simply to say, this is true. But it is also a matter of piety. That is, it's a matter of godly living that we confess the truth. And to go and say that it's okay to be a Christian without having a concern for what is true doctrine is is false. That's, a, that's a, not a true and pious life. In our day, people try to pit piety against orthodoxy. You have a, a godly life or you have a true doctrine. In fact, you hear this, deeds not creeds, all the time, that our piety consists of love and not of truth but our piety consists of a love for the truth and a love for the lord's word uh, and that's that's on display here beautifully in this paragraph
1: excellent pastor Hull. we, we skipped over a word here that probably our listeners need to kind of hear expounded a little bit this idea of sophistries uh... what what are these sophistry what does that actually mean and what what are they actually talking about here
3: well this was always the issue with um... luther he, he would say, we're not really talking about what matters. We're talking about all these these fun little theological topics that really, at the end of the day, sounds educated, sounds interesting, but it doesn't do anything for you. We're not talking about the will of man, the will of God, the gospel, the, the sacraments. Instead, we're going to ask, well, take um. if you read Genesis 1, uh, we're not going to talk about <clears throat> that God's word creates out of nothing, and how that then relates to our justification and our sanctification, our very life today. Instead, a sophistry type of topic would be, what was God doing before creation? <laughs> what um, Can we agree with on the day he made light, it meant he made the angels? I don't know this stuff. I don't know a million questions that my people ask me. Um, but what I do know is what the Word of God says. And... What can happen is you, you start talking about all these other topics, and you, you stop debating, discussing, and protecting the, the truth of the word. We've gotten into that in the Missouri Senate, right? Is we have a million ways to talk about worship. We've forgotten how to talk about doctrine. And that's the danger we're in now. We feel like we're having great discussions when really we're not talking about anything
1: yeah well in fact that's that's what sophistry is often used for is to uh to make right a point that cannot be based by scripture so they have to make it right by sophistry that is kind of mental gymnastics to get to a point yeah. and say see there that's that's what it is and and so of course Medieval Roman Catholicism has all kinds of extra-scriptural beliefs and doctrines and practices and so forth, and so sophistry is used to bring those in. So also, I think any time, even in modern days, present day, any time we want to depart from scriptural or confessional doctrine and practice, it takes a level of sophistry to get there. That We have to come up with our own kind of philosophical argument to get to that point. Uh, Pastor Wolfmiller, you want to add anything about this kind of sophistry type stuff?
2: Sure. What it, what it points to us is the opposite of sophistry is clarity, and 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 that is one of the virtues of the Scripture, that the Scriptures are clear, the attributes of the Scripture, and it ought, also ought to be one of the attributes of our articulation of the Lord's truth, uh, so that when the people are hearing uh, us, they're hearing uh, a clear voice. So St. Paul will say if the trumpet sounds, uh, it makes a confusing sound, who knows if, whether it's time to charge or retreat. The picture is there, is in, a, in a battle, uh, the, the general is giving commands through the trumpet sound. and he can, This sound means charge, this sound means wheel around, this sound means retreat. Uh, but if the trumpet doesn't make a clear sound, how do you know what to do? Uh, and so he's speaking there of the Lord's Word in that picture. The Lord's Word is a clear ringing sound. It, it comes with a clarity. And so ought our doctrine to be. It's no accident that the Catholic Church, which denies the clarity of the Scripture and says that you have to have the authoritative teaching office of the Pope to understand the Bible, also doesn't have a clear articulation of the Gospel or or a clear articulation of of, uh, the doctrine altogether. So one of the marks of the confession that Melanchthon's going to be working on here and all through our Lutheran history is there's a great clarity of thought and expression uh, in the things that are said, for the sake of the gospel.
1: So, a, a clear view of Scripture will equal then a clear confession of doctrine. It ought to, yes. It ought to, yeah. That's a good. That's a good addition. Ought to. We are dealing with men, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's right? So, <clears throat> so we are. <laughs> yeah. So, so here we then also have, um, Pastor Hall. You know, as a pastor, we deal with this kind of stuff, right? Um, how inflamed yeah. our adversaries are by bitterness and hatred. Um, how, how, this is kind of a pastoral application of this text that, you know, what, what is this bitterness and hatred? What does it do to people? And and, and you can be talking about adversaries as in false teachers, uh, brothers, pastors who believe and practice weird things, or you can talk about even your parishioners having issues with, with anger and hatred. How does that, how does that affect us? (laughs) And then what? And then part, what kind uh, of result? What kind of resolve? And what kind of things does the church have to help deal with this?
3: Well, right now, nothing really. That's the fun part about it, um, because we don't. Well, let's take false teachers. There are so many. It's just fun. Let's just deal with our brother pastors. Let's say pastors in the Missouri Senate. Um, well, obviously there is a clear division, and. We don't think there is. We think it's more of a, a practical division rather than a doctrinal one. And we have forgotten how to have a conversation with each other where we sit and listen to our brother and go, this man has my salvation at heart. He cares that I am forgiven, saved, and loved by Christ. And that's what we need to approach it with. I bring these things up. Not because I'm vindictive or hateful or a Pharisee, but rather because, as Paul says in Galatians 6, 1, I'm trying to restore you in a spirit of gentleness. Now, the only way we can have that gentleness is by just handing over what the Word says, what Scripture says, and what the confessions say. This isn't Chris Hall with his opinions or, you know, my little thoughts on the matter, Um, No, this is this is what Jesus says. This is what the word of God says. This is what, you know, God has inspired St. Paul and Moses and, um, you know, Isaiah to say this is what's being said. And that's what we have to hold to. The only way we'll ever be able to deal with adversity and division is by saying Christ is the only one that can restore it. And here is what he says about it.
1: Yeah, and, and then we and have he, to
3: have d- the humility <clears throat> to repent when we're wrong.
1: Right, and he does that through his law and his gospel, that, you know, law bringing us to repentance, gospel, then forgiving our sins. Real forgiveness, not not something incomplete, uh, as we discussed earlier. Pastor Wolfmiller, you know, at, at times in life when, when maybe anger and bitterness and so forth kind of get into you and hatred gets into you, uh, tends to kind of filter everything around you and so is this kind of what's happened to the to the Roman Catholic theologians is that guys like Eck and so forth have been debating Luther and you know taking shots and you know everything else is that finally this has consumed them to the point where they're actually confessing bad theology they're as you said earlier politically uh, minded rather than you know looking for the truth they're just looking for the ally of the emperor and and then of course as we deal today I mean <clears throat> Guarding and against hatred and bitterness and so forth what what kind of words of wisdom can you share with us on that
2: yeah, sure I mean so it's dangerous to to speak of someone's hidden motivations, but we can say this for sure that that's what it definitely looks like i mean it, it very much looks like these guys have been swept away with anger uh, and they're responding in kind um, and, uh, and 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 that and that makes it really difficult because you know, when when the devil comes along, when someone sins against us, our natural reaction is to be angry, and when we're angry, we justify our our lack of love for that person. I mean, this is really practical stuff. So when someone comes and they, you know, they come and they uh, uh, they cut down the tree in my front yard because they, they hate me, now I'm angry at them. And while I, I know that Jesus says, love my neighbor, I don't. that guy doesn't count as my neighbor, because look at the thing that he did to me. You know, he, he did this rude thing and cut down the tree and... And so now I exempt myself, I I justify my lack of love for that person, and I treat them like an enemy. And when when we consider someone to be an enemy, then we, we even cut off the possibility of them doing a good work for us. So if I, Joshua, think that you are my enemy, and you come and you bring me a cup of coffee or a glass of whiskey or something... I'm sure that you're doing it for bad purpose, that you've poisoned it or you've spit in it or that you're trying to get something out of me. I can never let a good work be a good work. That's how bad this anger is. Uh, it it's just it's most it likely to distract
1: run. you. It's most likely to distract you so I can take down one of your trees in your front yard for a Christmas tree. <laughs>
2: that's right. So that we, um, you know, anger is really, that's why uh, Paul says in in, uh, in Romans, Leave room for wrath. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, not to us. We we are not given, the Christian is not given an office of anger, uh, but rather the office of love, so that we even, when it comes to our enemies, we love our enemies. We, uh, we pray for them. We bless them. Uh, we rejoice in them. We don't uh, hate and despise them. Uh, that's the Christian act of
3: love.
1: Which is a good reminder and a tie-back into what Pastor Hull began talking about, is that, you know, even when... <clears throat> doctrinal issues are brought up that it's done with a spirit of love that that love actually might actually speak a hard word every once in a while and that's a good I like how you oh, I'm sorry go ahead
3: No go ahead I was saying I like how you said that Wolfie the uh, office of wrath and office of love because office removes the personal opinion from the matter it doesn't matter how angry I may be at my neighbor this is who I am baptized as it is now outside of us. This is how we live. There, and the same an goes for a pastor.
2: There is an office of anger that the Lord gives. I mean, namely, like a judge has an office of anger, so he'll make a judgment. Hey, that, that thing that you did is a crime, and now you've got to go to jail for the rest of your life. A soldier has an office of anger when he goes and, and fights against the enemy. Even parents, in some ways, have offices of anger to their children when they discipline the kids. But it's an anger that comes from office, not from person. And we're never called to be personally angry uh, with someone, or vengeful. That, that belongs yeah. to the Lord.
3: Exactly.
1: That's a very good reminder. <clears throat> very good reminder. All right, so we're going to finish up paragraph 16 here. That is why we believe that troubles and dangers for Christ's glory and the church's good should be endured. We are confident that God approves our faithfulness to duty. We hope that the judgment of future generations about us will be more just. All right, so you kind of got a posterity type of mention there. Uh, Pastor Hall, if you want to give a little comment about what Melanchthon's talking about here.
3: Well, you know, I mean, we don't have to imagine. We know how these guys were viewed. They they were not viewed in a nice, uh, kind way. England despised them. France hated them. You know, Italy hated them. They're They're despised and rejected and hated. And you can even see physical persecution on them. If they leave the territory of their elector, they're burned at the stake. So he's like, maybe, maybe down the road, people will look at it with a nicer light about what we're doing. Maybe even accept it. Um, And, and, you know, yeah, some people uh, have (laughs) accepted it, but not really. The gospel is always, is always persecuted, always under attack. And, you know there are some who are faithful and some who are not, but like he says, when those hardships come it's it's a blessing but yeah a hint of of prosperity uh, there with for austerity's <laughs> sake, yeah,
1: pastor Wolfmuller how about uh, how about you you know the, the troubles and dangers for our Christ's glory and the church's good should be endured, uh, obviously, yeah. he's qualifying what kind of troubles and dangers there are
2: yeah, we're not doing this for our we are not doing this for our own benefit. You know, it's like one of the strongest arguments for the historicity of the resurrection is all the things that the apostles endured. You know, they they weren't, apparently Peter and Andrew and James and John, they were not in this to get rich and have authority over people and all sorts of, you know, whatever kind of false motive someone would have for lying. They were so convinced of the resurrection of Jesus that they were willing to lose everything for that, for that. Uh, for the preaching of the Resurrection. And something like that's going on here. They're willing to lose everything. Not, They're not trying to become rich or famous. They, they're trying to be true uh, to the Lord who sits at the right hand of God and rules and reigns all things for them. And what's really interesting is you see this all the way through, really, in every introduction to every document in the Book of Concord. They had an eye to the future. I mean, even though they were convinced that Jesus would be coming back at any any moment, they were putting things down, knowing that history... Would be would be watching, would be looking back and saying, oh, "Are they faithful?" It's a great reminder for us today that everything we're doing, we're doing in the eye not only of our of our contemporaries, but in the eye of history. And history will look back on KFUO and Concord Matters. It'll look back on on Pastor Hall and and Pastor Shear and Pastor Wolfmiller. History will look back on the Missouri Synod, on the Lutheran Church throughout the world, on the Christians who lived in these days, and say, how did they stand with courage uh, in the midst of all sorts of trouble, uh, not for their own sake, but for the sake of the Gospel and for the sake of Christ? Uh, and so we ask, how will we be judged by posterity?
1: A uh, very good point. Let us go to paragraph seventeen and following It is undeniable that many topics of Christian doctrine, whose place in the church is most important, have been brought to view and explained by our theologians. We are not inclined to repeat here under what sort of opinions and how dangerously these topics used to lay buried in the writings of the monks, canonists, and sophistic theologians. We have the public testimony of many good men who give thanks to God for this great blessing. Our confession teaches many necessary things better than any of our adversaries books we will commend our cause to christ who will someday judge these controversies we beg him to look upon the afflicted and scattered churches and to bring them back to godly and continuous harmony pastor hall this last paragraph commend our cause to christ who will someday judge uh, this mentality that we have we only have about a minute to discuss it but if you give a introductory comment at least to this
3: well everything we write is commended to God because it is his words we are giving back to him. This isn't us trying to, as as Pastor Wolfman mentioned, make a name for ourselves or do anything. All of these things are to clarify Christ. Why do I teach on original sin? To clarify the glory and grace of Christ. Why do I teach on the will of man? To clarify the glory and grace of Christ. The same with baptism, the Lord's Supper, the end times. All of these things come back to the reality that I have a gracious Lord that desires to save me, to ransom me, and deliver me unto eternal life. That's the point of all of it, is telling people this, and you're not going to find any clearer message of that than in the pages of the Book of Concord.
1: Amen to that. And we are looking at uh, the end of the program, coming here, approaching really quickly. I'd like to thank both of you for being the guests uh, for this week as we discussed the apology and finished out the introduction of it. Uh, thank you both for making the good confession, as it is indeed the good confession, the true confession that comes from the clear word of God. And then, of course, it makes a clear confession in that book of Concord as we keep in discussing it through this program. Uh, for the good of all those who listen, that uh, you would hear the truth, and that, of course, by hearing the truth, then you would believe it and then also confess it in your lives as you live out the lives that God has given you, wherever that might be, in whatever offices and vocations that might be as well. You've been listening to Concord Matters. I'm this week's host, Pastor Josh Bashir. wishing you God's blessings.